freedom and this piece of ground. We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day? yourself how to get that way times are a changing the president lost his mind everything's upside down and that just ain't right you don't like a country you don't like her flag what makes you think that we give a damn about that Stop rednecks just like me And we're all sick and tired of this bullshit on TV I guess you didn't know But you don't mess with Jimmy If you have a right to burn my flag Then I have a right to kick your ass Don't you pack up your bags and take your ass back home This is my home And son, I'm mad as hell I think whooping your ass is worth a couple nights in jail There's a million pissed off rednecks just like me And we're all sick and tired of this bullshit called PC Kick your ass There's a million pissed off rednecks just like me And we're all sick and tired of this bullshit on TV I guess you didn't know
Hi, I'm Cope Reynolds, and welcome to The Shooting Bench, the most radical, right-wing, conservative, no-holds-barred, information-packed, freedom-loving, firearms information program on talk radio, beginning right now. Die. Fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds, many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that? For one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! And welcome to the shooting bench on this 29th day of January 2020 already. I think about that when I was a kid that uh, the year 2000 seemed completely unobtainable, that I, it was so far in the future that I would never see it. And here it is, 2020, and I'm seeing it. So. Anyway, welcome. I, uh, you know, tonight's a little bit different. I was reading some stuff on Audie Murphy earlier, and I, I just, I don't know how many times I've read it. I love Audie Murphy, Sergeant York, and, and a couple other guys, just amazing individuals. And... Uh, this is the type of show that I would normally do on Independence Day or or something like that. But I just kind of got in the mood tonight and wanted to share a few things with you. Got some other stuff, too, if we manage to get to it. We'll see what happens here. With any luck, our Internet will hold in there. It's snowing again. And uh, the bad thing about this uh, satellite internet is for some reason uh, and i'm going to call those people and see if i can find out but it only takes a little bit of snow you know if it gets three-eighths of an inch of snow on it it uh, it wipes it out you know when we was using uh frontier you know and regular uh, internet through there so let's see no actually that didn't have anything to do with it the only time we used the dish then was for tv so scratch all that so anyway i'm gonna get a, get a hold of viasat and see what's going on it's like we got about two inches or so of fresh snow out there it was supposed to stop about five o'clock but uh here it is still still chugging along all righty um we did make the decision to continue to have amy's show on mondays just before mine we're going to change some some of our scheduling a little bit, and and uh, we, I wanted to get her on here more reliably, and we've had a hard time doing that. So we uh, decided what we're going to do is uh, you know make some make some other changes in what we do on weekends here, and and make sure that we have that time set aside to do her show. So and uh, concrete, and once again, I think all of you know, but I'll say it again. He has, uh, all of his archives now are moved over to his podcast site. Uh, and, you know, if we'd have thought about this, we probably should have done that a long time ago. It would have been so much easier to access his shows rather than wait for him to come up in the lineup here on the, uh, in the archives here on, on, uh, survival circle. So he's got it over there where you can just access them on demand. You can go along down through there and, and pick a date or pick a time and, and uh, listen to it whenever you want. 
That is Joyful Noise. Noise is spelled with a Y. Joyfulnoise.podbean.com. And uh, hope he's doing well over there with that. For some reason, he uh, apparently has had some trouble starting his shows here on uh, Survival Circle. So I'm not sure if he's going to continue to try to do the shows here. They weren't live anyway. They were Most of them were uh, pre-recorded. So, um, but I don't know if he's going to continue to do that. I don't know why he's had trouble. I, I uh, tried the, the same procedure, and it worked okay for me. So I don't know what's going on. But at any rate, you're not missing uh, anything because he's got them loaded up on the on the podcast for you, so you can go hear them anytime. Okay, what else we got going on around here that you need to know about? Uh, we don't have any classes coming up anytime soon. Still working on the campaign. We've got some got some more signatures to get. And uh, other than that, I think we're everything's running along here pretty normally. So let's get started on this. I'm anxious to do this. I've been, let me see if I can find, no, that's not it. That's what I get for, there we go. Got it. What made me think about it, it was, uh, it was 75 years ago, um, yesterday, no, Sunday, that, uh, Audie Murphy earned his, um, Congressional Medal of Honor in a in a tremendous firefight. And if you guys have not ever seen the movie Hell and Back, or To Hell and Back, To Hell and Back, yeah, you're really missing out. You're selling yourself short. I swear, you you've got to watch that movie. I've talked about it many times on the show. It's uh, there's a lot of of good lessons to be learned on there, but a what a feat of, of bravery and selflessness this man displayed out there. And, uh, you know, expert marksmanship. I mean, it was a 50 caliber machine gun, but hell, he killed, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he killed something like 50 Germans up there by himself uh, while he was all standing on top of a burning uh, tank destroyer at the same time. And just a whole bunch of stuff went on there in just a few hours. And uh, he he waged that little one man war by himself there for uh, over an hour, and then went and joined up with his guys and, and did some other pretty remarkable stuff. But <clears throat> excuse me. So, but anyway, it was seventy five years ago, and um, that he that he got this. He was the and still to this day, I believe, still is the most decorated soldier in the United States Army ever. Uh, he was a, a second lieutenant at the time, and he got his commission after this happened to captain. And he, um, I want to read what his citation says for his Medal of Honor here. He, you know, and he, before I read that, he had the opportunity, just like everybody else did, to, to run away, to get um, over into some trees and stuff, but he he displayed a uh, a degree of not just bravery but common sense. He says, you know, if we go over there, we're all going to be killed. We're going to be surrounded, and and uh, if we're going to be killed, and I don't know that he said this in his mind, but this is what I'm visualizing. Uh, if we're, we're going to be killed anyway, 
you know, I might as well stay here where we have a, a bit of a fighting chance or maybe I can buy those guys some time or whatever. And boy, did he ever. Listen to this citation he got. Uh, let's see here. With the enemy tanks abreast of his possession, position, Second Lieutenant Murphy climbed on the burning tank destroyer, which was in danger of blowing up at any moment, and employed its 50 caliber machine gun against the enemy. He was alone and exposed to German fire from three sides, but his deadly fire killed dozens of Germans and caused their infantry attack to waver. The enemy tanks, losing infantry support, began to fall back. For an hour, the Germans tried every available weapon to eliminate 2nd Lieutenant Murphy, but he continued to hold his position and wiped out a squad which was trying to creep up unnoticed on his right flank. Germans reached as close as 10 yards only to be mowed down by his fire. He received a leg wound but ignored it and continued the single-handed fight until his ammunition was exhausted. Uh, he then made his way to his company, refused medical attention, and organized the company in a counterattack which forced the Germans to withdraw. His directing of artillery fire wiped out many of the enemy. He killed or wounded about 50. Second Lieutenant Murphy's indomitable courage and his refusal to give an inch of ground saved his company from possible encirclement and destruction and enabled it to hold the woods which had been the enemy's objective. So that's, uh, you, you ought to, you really ought to watch that movie. It's a, it's a fantastic show. And, you know, I, I, I wrote a deal here, I don't remember when it was, several months ago, July or August, something like that, called The Point of No Return. And since I have been on, since AM radio days, I said, you know, one day we're going to reach the point of no return, where um, there, where, where there becomes more of them than there are us, and we're in some degrees we're seeing that now by all these states uh, turning blue. Not that, not that there's not still a lot of good people out there, a lot of good brave patriots. I understand there is, there are. But fact is, there's just not as many as there used to be, and we're losing every year. We lose more. The Vietnam, I mean, the the World War One vets are all gone. World War Two vets are all but gone. There's still a few of them around, but um, you know, the most we could hope to get out of them would be encouragement and maybe some training pointers. But uh, as far as them getting out in the field and doing anything, it's not going to be happening. Vietnam vets are going away, you know, every day we lose a few more of them. And uh, I think we've just reached that, that point where it is not possible to resolve our current dilemma by peaceful means. Uh, it, it seems to me that, you know, back in the old days and for much, much, um, much less reasons, much more insignificant reasons, they just up and started a war and got it solved. And we're apparently at this point not prepared to do that. But I think we've reached a point where there is no other option. The only other option at this point is is to uh, submit and, and, uh, and just uh, do whatever we're told. So 
the um, the the difference in the men that they had in those days was that they would you know they there we read a story here one time about a kid that lied about his age and how they couldn't tell I don't know but he got in World War I think one at 13 years old lots of them 14 15 16 years old and we well I know I sound like a broken record we've talked about this before uh, and, and now you're finding grown men 18 19 20 30 years old that will do anything to get out of going to war or protecting you know joining the military period whether there's any war going on or not but we look at people like Audie Murphy and Sergeant York and Francis Curry and uh, you know quite a number of them back in those days that figured that one man really could make a difference and some of them dang sure really did there was another one during this same time Francis Curry and uh, I should have mentioned him a few months ago he died at 94 years old he was in on the battlefield at 19 years old he died at uh, at 94 this last October October 8th or 9th or somewhere in there he was also a Medal of Honor winner he was there during the um, uh, what they call it the um, what was it the massacre the Malmedy massacre I think it was where there was uh, quite a few American soldiers out there that were had already given up and not resisting in any way and they a bunch of Germans shot him to death right on the outskirts of this little town and uh, ultimately before it was after it was all said and done they found out who was in charge of that and they uh, were tried uh, by an American uh, I guess tribunal is the word and uh, they all spent about 10 years in prison for it but anyway a few days after this massacre took place this 19 year old kid now this kid was <laughs> he got out of school he was six foot something and weighed 130 pounds talk about tall and lanky he really was anyway he was a, a private in the 30th infantry division and he was once in a while we hear about people that are have extraordinary skills with weapons and stuff in, in situations like this and this guy was one of them he he really uh in matter of fact the headline of the new york times when all this was going on said doughboy throws arsenal at nazis now i don't think anybody knows how they got the name doughboy back then there was uh uh, song about doughboys there was a couple of movies out and uh, th there's no good explanation as how they came up with that but uh, it was replaced by you know we started calling them GIs sometime World War II uh, I don't know at what point in there but anyway they did away with the term doughboy it uh, disappeared as quickly as it 
came about, and nobody knows either one how it happened. So Francis Curry, his story was uh, he got the Medal of Honor in July of 1945, and by that time he'd been promoted to sergeant. His citation said, through his extensive knowledge of weapons and by his heroic and repeated braving of murderous enemy fire, Sergeant Curry was greatly responsible for, for inflicting heavy losses in men and material on the enemy for rescuing five comrades, two of whom were wounded, and for stemming an attack which threatened to flank his battalion's position. He died at his home in New York in, in, in uh, last October, 94 years old. His son had confirmed that he had died and also had the, uh, you know, some documentation of uh, things that went on there with his with his dad. There's two at this point right now in history. There are two World War II uh, Medal of Honor winners still living. One of them is Charles Coolidge. 98 years old, cited for bravery in France while he was a tech, an Army technical sergeant. And Herschel Williams, 96 years old, decorated for heroism in the Battle of Iwo Jima while he was a Marine corporal. But getting back to Corey, he said it was just, uh, I'm talking about these, these, these things that happened here, he said this was just one day of nine months of steady combat. And he said the firefight started about 4 o'clock in the morning. The American anti-tank units were overrun. Um, some of them had uh, withdrawn here to an abandoned factory. And let's see, him and another GI, now they're calling them GIs, now they're calling them Doughboy a while ago, brave and fire from German infantrymen, and tanks raced across the road and grabbed bazooka rockets and anti-tank grenades and a smash from a smashed American half-track. Now, this is pretty cool what he did. This is a neat story. After firing a bazooka to, to disable the tank, Private Curry shot three Germans in the door, doorway of a nearby stone house with his browning weapon, then knocked down part of the wall with its bazooka, with his bazooka, uh, collapsing in on the Germans inside. At that point, he saw five GIs from the anti-tank unit had been cut off and were being fired on by German armor. He hurled grenades at those tanks, sending their crews fleeing into the remnants of the house, then blasted the house with machine gun fire, saving the trapped Americans, two of them wounded. Private Curry, incurring only a minor wound, then joined other squad members and speeding away in a jeep with the two injured soldiers, guided only by dim headlamps in the darkness, with Mr. Curry riding shotgun in case German soldiers spotted them. We did not have the slightest idea where we were in the middle of Belgium. Um, Mr. Curry was quoted as saying, "The let's see, by Michael Collins and Martin King in the Voices of Bulge, Voices of the Bulge in 2011. Anyway, the GIs were in fact stopped by another American's American regiment's roadblock and suspected of being enemy infiltrators, English-speaking German troops wearing American uniforms. 
They didn't believe our story until we talked to someone who had some brains. The next day, they moved us back to our regiment. Uh, born in 1925 in Lock Sheldrake, New York. Orphaned at 12. Reared by foster parents on a farm in nearby Hurleyville. Joined the Army in June 1943. And uh, that's when he, when he was, got out and he graduated right then, six foot tall and 130 pounds. By the time the European War ended, he'd been awarded a Silver Star, a Bronze Star, three Purple Hearts, and the Medal of Honor. And, uh, you know, that's really all the significant parts of this story, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, let me see, see where we're at here. All right. So we got another one here. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish before we take a break. And this one was about Sergeant York. There's quite a bit of stuff here. Uh, Sergeant York was uh, truly <laughs> just a remarkable individual. Not only for his for his combat skills, his shooting skills, and all that, but but he was just himself a remarkable individual. He was kind of like uh, um, Audie Murphy was the most decorated soldier of the uh, United States Army. Sergeant York was known as the greatest American hero of World War One. He had done uh, several amazing things that he just considered was was part of uh, part of his job. That's what he did. That's what he enlisted for. And, well, he was drafted, I believe, if I remember correctly. But, um, and he, he didn't, unlike some of the others, he didn't profit from this at all. He had the opportunity to go, you know, Hollywood, Broadway. Everybody wanted his story. Everybody wanted him out there on the screen and on the, on the stage with them and whatnot. And, um, he just never did get into it. I think he, dabbled a little bit once and then just give up and, and went back home. Up until he joined the Army, this guy had never been more than 50 miles away from his house. And uh, so this was quite a quite a, um, experience for him. But I, uh, I use Sergeant York's story many times in some of my classes where the inevitable question comes up about, having to take another life and regardless of what they did you know i mean there are people that say well it's still a life and to some degree i i do agree with that but in the first place i tell them you're not taking a life you're saving one you know his his um actions and decisions is what caused you to do this so this is on him not you but Sergeant York had, uh, and, and, and I mean, it tells it clearly in the movie, but he also, uh, in real life, this happened. He, by the way, he went to basic training in Camp Gordon, Georgia, which is down in uh, pretty much in what is now Atlanta. I don't think it was then, but it was right on the outskirts of Atlanta. And it's still an active post today. I don't know exactly what they do. Uh, there's not a lot going on there. I've driven by Fort Gordon uh, 
they call it Fort Gordon now instead of Camp Gordon. I'm assuming it's still in the same location and everything. I don't know. I didn't do any research on it, but um, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot going on there when I was. But there were people there, but not many. So anyway, he uh, he was the third oldest out of a family of eleven kids, and they lived in a extraordinarily humble um, atmosphere there. And they, uh, you know, it was a different time in those days. It is, there was just, when you're, when you're raised like that out in the woods, he was raised in Tennessee, Pell Mell, Tennessee, Paul Mall, Tennessee, depending on how you want to, how you want to, uh, pronounce that. And he just, um, they just didn't have any need for education. His, the full amount of his education was nine months. His, his whole life, that's all the education that he had. They just didn't need it. Um, you know, they could they could count. He knew, he knew nothing about money. He got himself in trouble with money. Many, he gave it away, invested it, you know, dumbly, and uh, spent it when he had it and, and just didn't do well with it. But anyway, back to the, to the uh, taking a human life. He was a conscientious objector. Uh, he he had uh, found God here when one of his buddies got killed in a in a beer joint in Kentucky, and uh, he decided, you know, this could be me. I need to do something different here. This is not. I, I don't want to do this. So he went to a revival, um, a tent revival, I guess. And uh, found God and and uh, dedicated his life to to the Lord and everything and and so when he was drafted he he went ahead and and went to where he was supposed to go not taken into account you know there's no war going on at the time I guess um, I don't know exactly when when it started and when he was in there. He was drafted when he was uh, in 1917, I think it was. Um, so at any point, he, he didn't go in thinking that he was going to go to war. And they found out pretty quickly that he was um, an extraordinary marksman and just a, uh, just a, a real whiz there with the... Uh, I think it was the 03 A3s, uh, bolt action rifles, what they were using at the time, I believe. And so he wound up helping them, helping them train and doing some remarkable things. They couldn't believe what he was doing. Da, da, da. And then they say, okay, it's time for you to go to war, go to, to Europe. And he said, well, I can't do that. I won't do that. Uh, I, I, I killing ain't right. I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase from the, from the from the movie. It's been a long time. I just told Amy I need to dig that movie out and watch it again. It's a great film. And uh, Gary Cooper starred in this film. It's a 1946 movie. And uh, Gary Cooper and his when he was probably 25, 30 years old starred in that, in that show. But he said, I can't do that. And he said, you know what? Um, the, the, his commander, whatever his name was, said, uh, why don't you... Take a little break, run home and see Ma and Pa, and 
think about this a little bit and, and uh, let me know that they really wanted him to go because he was such a such a marksman and he, they really valued his his skills and, and uh, let me know how it turns out. So anyway, he went up on the hill and showed in the in the movie he's sitting up on the hill and he's got his dog with him. He's looking out across the valley and he's reading some things in the Bible and he realizes that there are places in the Bible where it says you are not only justified in killing, it is your duty to defend um, your life, uh, the, the life of innocence and and your your religion and, and whatever. And so he, he was gone for a couple of weeks and, and come back and said, okay, I got it. I, I see, I see your point. Let's, let's go do this thing. So he, um, there's a big blown up story about him capturing 132 Germans by himself. He didn't do it by himself. He was largely responsible for it, but he had uh, eight or nine other soldiers in there helping him do this. But, um, one of the things that he, at least in the movie, now I, I don't know about, I haven't read his entire biography, so I don't know if this was ever true, but in the movie, he said that, uh, you know, when you're talking, when you're hunting turkeys, that you shoot the one in the back first and keep coming forward until they, they get spooked or until you get them all. You don't shoot the first one because it'd be flopping and carrying on and scare all the rest of them away. And that's what he did with these Germans. And it was it was just a damn sure an amazing movie. You've got to watch it if you haven't seen it. If you've seen it, watch it again. It's uh, I'm going to try to find it here. I know I've got it here in all these CDs, DVDs here somewhere. But anyway, the um, he was uh, he was 30 years old when they drafted him. So I guess Gary Cooper, that would be about right if he was, you know, somewhere between 25 and 35 if he was uh, playing that part. But so um, he went. They did. They did capture 132 prisoners, but it was he didn't like that. He didn't do it by himself. And when it, he, when all this was over with, and he got back home and everything, he was. He was uh, given the, finally, let's see, he got the Congressional Medal of Honor, and he got something else here. There's a couple of others that got the Distinguished Service Cross during over this same incident here. But, um, by the way, I, I forgot to tell you, or did I? I think I forgot to tell you, Audie Murphy not only did he have the Medal of Honor, but he had two silver stars, a bronze star, three purple hearts, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Legion of Merit, and, of course, the Medal of Honor. I think I already said that. So back to Sergeant York. What they showed in the movie was partially true right at the end. Uh, him and his, his uh, fiance, his girlfriend there, were looking at a little piece of land and, and, uh, you know, he really wanted that. And when they, when he got out of the army, he, um, you know, he went, when he got back to Tennessee, the Rotary Club had, uh, with the help from some other clubs there in Tennessee, wanted to uh, give him a home and a farm. 
but they didn't quite raise enough money, so they they gave the home was unfinished, and and he had quite a, a mortgage on top of all that. But uh, as late as as 1922, the deed was still in the hands of the Nashville Rotary Club. So, but anyway, it was a it was a nice gesture anyway. So that's. Um, I don't know. This just kind of kind of struck me tonight for some reason. I don't know. This just seemed like a seemed like a good time to to throw this in here. So, and this is also probably getting to be pretty close to a good time to take a break. I'll be back in a minute. It never fails to surprise me that there are still vast lands of the United States literally uncultivated. Well, it won't be this way long. Come the private airplane, people will start spreading around. Would it be wonderful to be part of the new world? Well, I don't think it will change as much as some people think. Oh, but it must. Why? For too long we've had that laissez-faire attitude toward executive operation. We must educate ourselves to share the responsibilities as well as the advantages of citizenship. Oh, I read that book too. It certainly made an impression on you what that writer had to say. But it's a lot of hooey. Fixing everybody up when they let out their first squawk. Giving them pointers on good government between bottle feedings. And teaching them in school to be good little ladies and gentlemen and not smack each other around. Oh, it's very easy to make fun of everything. Listen, Miss Clutch. Have you ever heard of some fellows who first came over to this country? You know what they found? They found a howling wilderness. With summers too hot and winters freezing. Did they have insurance for their old age, for their crops, for their homes? They did not. They looked at the land and the forests and the rivers. They looked at their wives, their kids, and their houses. And then they looked up at the sky and they said, Thanks, God. We'll take it from here. They were rugged fellows. They were men. I'll be back. Do you think that you can take me on? You must be crazy There ain't a single thing you've done That's gonna phase me And it has taught me how to stand and fight For what I believe in I guess that's just how I was raised Peace and satisfaction, 
protected by the good Lord and a gun. You might meet them both if you show up here, not welcome, son. Our necks are burnt, our roads are dirt, and our trucks ain't clean. The dogs run loose, we smoke, we chew, and fry everything out here. All good people gonna gather around, gonna show what made this country great. We'll run off the schemers and backroom dealers, so the red, white, and blue will prevail when we're holding a hammer. When we're holding a hammer. When we're holding a hammer. Every one of them looks like a nail. Welcome back to another segment of the Shooting Bench, right here on the Survival Circle Radio Network. All right, I'm back. Let's. Uh, we're farther into this than I thought. That took a little longer than I anticipated. So, but uh, I just kind of felt the need to do that. All right, let's uh, let's look at a couple other things. We've got a couple other stories we can fit in here before time to go. For one thing, uh, Magpul. Magpul is a uh, a great company. They they do some. Uh, they can make some neat stuff. But I really question this thing that they they've got now. They have a. Uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of a neat idea, but not not a lot. It's a uh, backpacker stock for that Ruger pistol caliber carbine that's available in 9mm and 40 caliber. I want to get one of the 40 caliber ones really bad and check it out. But, uh, and all it does is, you know, the barrel comes off and, uh, well, along with the, the forearm, it, um, it comes, it detaches right at the chamber. And then you have a, you have a, it, it's disassembles down into two pieces now. So this backpacker stock, kind of a neat looking stock. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't mind the stock by itself, but the idea of how they, what they made this for is, I don't know, it, it, maybe it's okay. I'm just it's not a real big fan. But anyway, the back of the stock, I mean, I should say the underneath of the stock back towards the butt has a cavity, a hollowed out area there that is the same size, coincidentally, as the forearm. So you turn the barrel and the forearm upside down and it locks into place in this stock. Now it leaves the barrel uh, unsupported and unprotected but, I mean, if you're just putting in a backpack or a suitcase or something, I guess it's fine. I never understood the whole thing about t- 
taking guns apart and putting them in a backpack to go for it, uh, you know, for self-defense or whatever. <laughs> if you're if you're not going to carry a good size handgun or something to buy you the time to get this car being put together, um, you know that that doesn't make the least, not even the tiniest, one little iota of sense to me. But that's what they make this for. So yeah, I guess they figure you're going to backpack into your camp and put it together and leave it leaning against a tree while you're at camp, and then put it back in its packing configuration and and uh head back home so but uh the stock itself i'd still like to try it's uh it's a pretty it looks like it's pretty pretty well designed heavy duty stock of course the stock that comes with that gun's pretty well designed and heavy duty too those little guns are shooters i mean they they really do shoot well they're awesome little carbine, lightweight, light recoil. You know, you get, uh, we've talked about them before. You can pop a, uh, you know, a couple of screws out of it and, and, uh, put a different mag well in it and it uses Glock magazines. It comes with a Ruger magazine well attached so you can, you know, trade back and forth whenever you want to. But, uh, with the Glock magazine well in it, you know, you can, it holds, um, Glock 19 magazines is what I think it comes with, but it'll take the 17 mag round magazines. It'll take the, um, you know, 30 round, 32 round magazines or whatever they are. And that's just a, a, a awesome little companion for your Glock. It's a great shooting little gun. Anyway, enough of that. So let's go on to a aggravating story here. This was, um, I believe it was up in, no, it was in Texas. Now here we were just talking about kids, you know, lying to get in the military and how they were, you know, you know, more heroes back then than we have now and, and whatnot. And here this kid just trying to do the right thing. I mean, he wasn't being a, well, I guess he was kind of a hero here, but, but, um, obviously he was raised right. And he, uh, a, a law enforcement officer come into a play. He was working at a, um, great American cookies company, 18 years old. And this cop come in to pick up some dessert and the kid said, hey, I got an idea. He said, I'm just going to pay for this guy's, uh, for this guy's treat here. So he paid the, it was $2.75, didn't take advantage of his employee discount. He just whipped out his wallet and paid $2.75. And, and, uh, the kid said, you know, he's just a really nice guy. On top of that, he has a badge. Uh, that's not enough for me to buy him something. That's, that's the least that I can do. So he's feeling pretty good about himself and what he's done here. And, and then the customers right behind them came up and they said, where's our free dessert? I would have had a very difficult time not knocking that guy's teeth out. He, he gave him a hard time because he extended this, this act of goodwill or whatever to the, to the cop, but not to them. 
So um, the kid's mother said that the, the couple was, was very confrontational. According to her, the man told her son, you know you're probably going to get fired. He put his daughter down, the, the uh, aggressive dude put his daughter down and came around the, the side and was about to come back behind the counter all over a freaking ice cream or whatever, the cookie or something that they served there. And uh, the, the, the kid's co-worker stopped him from coming around there, but that wasn't enough. The kid was written up and received a week-long suspension. However, when that hit Facebook, people were absolutely livid and demanded that this get rectified. So it wasn't long at all before the Great American Cookie Company issued an apology and uh, revoked the suspension and admitted that it was just a misunderstanding. That wasn't a misunderstanding. You understood fine before everybody in the United States jumped down your throat about it. You understood that just fine. So anyway... That kid said, uh, a lot of people I know my age don't support police officers, and I don't think it's fair. So it's hard to understand how a kid can be so unselfish and kind and have someone, some anal orifice come up right behind him that is so selfish and unkind. But uh, anyway, the young man recognizes right from wrong, and, and uh, I think he did a wonderful thing there. Okay, let's see. You know, there was something I forgot to do here, and I think I want to... No, I I did do that. Never mind. I got that in there. All right, well, let's finish this up here with one more quick little story, and then we'll uh, move on. This was up in Tacoma. I I know some of you have seen the the, uh, pictures of the new Trump is not your president ring. Where somebody's just taking it's a little meme where they've taken a uh, piece of copper wire and twisted it in a circle like a ring and leave two prongs sticking out of it and you're supposed to walk up and stick those prongs in a in a light socket I mean a, a receptacle and plug in and uh, you do that and uh, Trump is no longer your president and well something along those lines only real is happening up in Tacoma. There's a new what they call the penny challenge on social media. I don't know where these people come up with all this stupid crap to these challenges of of different kinds, but there's a uh, middle school student up there that took part in this this challenge here. And what they do, it, it tells kids to record the video of yourself doing it, and you are supposed to partially plug in your cell phone charger not don't stick it in all the way just just a little bit and and then um, take a penny and slide it in between the charger and the wall the charger and the receptacle and then post the results on something called TikTok I don't know what that is so you place the penny across this active electrical circuit here and, of course, you get a bunch of sparks. If you're still holding on to it, it's going to uh, possibly electrocute you, certainly burn you badly, and uh, damage the outlet, could start a fire. I mean, there's a lot of stuff could go on here uh, for this. Most kids are not thinking about the 
the criminal 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 charges that may come from this and and having to pay for whatever damage they do if they're not you know in their home and um, and they probably don't think about whether or not it's going to kill them but it'd be something so cool to post on TikTok whatever that is it says TikTok TikTok is meant for those 13 or older but it doesn't do anything to verify the user's age. They just ask, and, and so there you go. They suggest that parents can restrict or block these apps from parental control settings. Yeah, you can to some degree. Um, you know, they, they always kids are pretty, pretty ingenious. They always find a way around this kind of stuff. Okay, well, I think that's gonna. Get us by. Let me check one thing here. Okay, that can wait. That's going to put us out here just a couple of minutes early, but um, I'll be back Friday with Liberty Lounge. And as I said, uh, Monday will be, uh, I think we've got everything situated now where Amy will have her show a little more regularly now. It's difficult with this campaign that we're doing, you know, and all the stuff that we've got going on. We have a lot of stuff. Amy takes care of of two or three elderly women. She's a certified caregiver for these women, and and sometimes you wind up having to do things that are unscheduled. And uh, with this campaign, you know, I'm always traveling and stuff, but we're doing the best we can. We're trying to to provide you with these shows, you know, as as uninterrupted as we possibly can, or as as maybe I should say as, as reliably as we possibly can. So I hope it's uh, hope it's working out for you guys. It seems to be okay. I almost I almost pulled the plug on the whole thing, uh, especially when this candidate, this sheriff candidacy came up. But um, I think we figured out a way to to skirt some of our our issues and problems and responsibilities and kind of kind of slide some time in here and continue to do this. And I hope you guys uh, like that. Okay, well, I'm going to get out of here, and like I said, I'll see you Friday with Liberty Lounge. Thanks for joining me. Good night. This has been The Shooting Bench with Cope Reynolds of Southwest Shooting Authority. 